If you'd like to turn your Bibles to Genesis chapter 12. Genesis chapter 12. Now again, we're in uh, a series on Revelation. We uh, looked at a message last week on Romans, but we're still moving down the path of Revelation. And again, in chapters 1 through 3, we looked at uh, the present time, that is the church, the church age, the seven churches of the Revelations, Revelations 2, well, 1, 2, and 3. Then in uh, chapters 4 and 5, we looked at uh, heaven. And what is it, like, what is it uh, like in heaven? And again, everything has to do with the worship of God. That's the center. The throne is the center of the universe. Now we're going to be going into chapter 6, but before we do that, I, I really believe we need to take a couple weeks. So this is really a two-part, three-part message. And really talk about Israel. And I'm going to say this a number of times because of this reason. If you don't get Israel right, you'll never get eschatology right. If you don't get Israel right, you'll never get the last, last things right. It, it will just be a continual, uh, kind of like throw the dice, what do I think about the passage? You have to get Israel right. And once you get Israel right, then everything flows from that. Oh, that makes sense. Okay, I understand why God's doing that. So what we're going to do is be, in the last next couple of weeks, be looking at the covenants. We're going to be looking at the promises God made to Abraham, and then to Isaac, Jacob, right on through. They're still in force, they're still in effect. And once you get that set as the framework, the foundation, then we can move back into Revelation chapter 6. Because then it makes sense what's going to be happening in the book of Revelation. Okay, But if you don't get Israel right, you'll never get the book of Revelation correct. It just won't happen. Uh, because Israel is actually um, the main, not the main, Christ is the main character. But they are, they are who Christ is uh, working in through that whole time frame. Again, judgment of the nations, judgment of the world, but also bringing Israel to himself, because at the very end, that's what happens with the nation of Israel. They, they finally look on whom they have pierced. Okay, So, the Jewish nation... You know, it's interesting. Hardly a day goes by when you do not hear a mention of the nation of Israel. Isn't that true? Or the city of Jerusalem, or the Jerusalem people in general. I mean, they are all over the news all the time. Why do these people and this nation occupy such a singular position in the world today? I mean, you've got to ask that question. Everyone needs that. Why is it, this little nation, why, is it, why are they in that singular position of always being in the news? Why is the nation of Israel, which is, I, I found this interesting, uh, the 145th, 100, excuse me, 154th, 154th of the nations in land size, how, why is it that they play such a prominent part in this world? Again, land size, only 154. They're, they're down the list. In fact, let me show you their land size. This is in comparison, oh, the California. Can you give me one on... Uh, I don't know how I put that. Oh, United States. Now, now I want you to see it in, in, in comparison to the Arab world. Do we have that one? Right there. Right there. Okay. All the Arab world. And we want Israel. Right? I mean, look at that little thing. And then half of that has been taken up, right? Palestinians. So again... 
they say if you took land mass, it's one, I think it's one-tenth of one percent. All right, so one-tenth, no, excuse me, one-half of one-tenth of one percent. A half of a percent, uh, that's what they own, and yet that's what the whole conflict in the Middle East and everything else. By the way, just, just before we leave, uh, God promised that Israel would have this land from here all the way to where the Euphrates is. What is it, right there? I don't have my glasses on, but yeah, that whole... And they've never owned that. They've never had that. Even during the days of David and Solomon, they never had that particular amount of land. Why is it that Jerusalem... And again, I say Jerusalem, not L.A., not New York, not Paris, not Moscow, not Beijing. Why is it that Jerusalem is so often mentioned, again, in the news? And again, the short answer is found in Amos chapter 3, verse 2. And this is where God says to the nation, You only have I chosen of all the families of the earth. That's why there's a rub. <laughs> God says, I have chose you. The capital is Jerusalem, and the world hates that. Okay, if you want the short answer. Again, God chose the Jewish people. In Deuteronomy chapter 7, verse 7, it says, The Lord did not set his love on you, nor chose you because you were more in number than any other people. For you were the least of all peoples. You were the little one, the little nation. But because the Lord loves you and because he would keep, he would keep the oath which he swore to your fathers. And again, that goes back to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So again, why is it that God has, has put his affection on Israel? It's not because of their wealth. It's not because of their size. It's not because of their righteousness. It just says, because I loved you. He chose to love that nation. Okay, now you got to get this. God the Sovereign chose a people, not based on their characteristic, just to be chose. Okay, that's what we call election. Now we often talk about election as far as people. You, people are elected to salvation. But, but this is an election of a nation, of a nation called Israel. Now, some today would seek to set aside the nation, the nation of Israel, and the people of Israel, and say that God no longer has a covenant with this nation. But again, this is incorrect. I want to emphasize it. That is incorrect. You see it in the end of, uh, in the, end of the book of Revelation. You, you see it mentioned in uh, Romans 11, that God, Christ, Christ comes back, and they will finally turn. So the nation of Israel is still on the map, as far as on, pro, on the prophetic map. In fact, if you ever come up with, uh, I mean, if it ever happens that this world is able to eliminate and terminate every Jew in this world, then I want you to do this. Reject God. Because his name is on that people, right? That's how serious it is. If they are ever eliminated as a nation, then you need to reject Jehovah because he's put his name there. And we'll see that as we go through this. So again, Israel is still in the forefront, will continue to remain, I believe, in the forefront right up to the end. I mean, it's just going to escalate uh, from this point on. The promise that God made to Abraham and his descendants has never been completely fulfilled. The land has never been completely given to them. They, have, as a nation, have never turned to him. Again, that will happen in a day. But today, and you might say, well, what's happening with Israel today? Today, Israel is not under divine protection. They're not. <clears throat> they are apostate. And what do you mean by that? 
I mean they have rejected the Messiah as a nation. Now, I'm not talking individual. You, I mean, again, I'm very thankful for, uh, you know, Jews for Jesus and, and uh, evangelism, uh, Israel My Glory, and a uh, number of uh, Jewish organizations reaching out to Jewish people, and a number of Jewish people are coming to Christ. But as a nation, they've never reached out. There's coming a day that the nation will finally repent. Now again, if you compare Zechariah and, and Revelation and Romans, what happens is at the very end, the Great Tribulation, uh, two-thirds of the Jews die. Whatever's left, two-thirds, and only one-third finally turn. So there is a carnage coming. There is a carnage. But I believe the Jewish ministries that even are happening right now are setting it up so that they have the information and finally they go through the tribulation and finally with that information, I believe that the seeds are even being planted today. They, they look to him who they have pierced, as Zechariah talks about. So they are apostate right now. They rejected the Messiah. They are under divine chastening. But they are, st- are still a people and they will be, and this is the key word, Though, though they are, are not under divine protection, they are being preserved. You've got to get that. They're being preserved to the very end. Again, tribulation is God working in that nation, finally and going, going to change their hearts through the new covenant. He says, I'm going to put my word in your mind and in your heart, and you will turn. You will, you will understand uh, who I am. Again, I'm speaking of the Lord Jesus Christ. So again, that's the overview. Israel's in focus. Why? God has set his, his love on that nation. Not because of, that they deserved it. Not because they were big, you know, big in number. Not because they were righteous. Just because God so chose and is sovereign. Is God sovereign? Yes, God is sovereign. This all revolves around that concept that God is sovereign. God is in control. God does as he pleases. And God has sought to... Uh, preserving uh, that nation, which then points right back to him, okay? Because you know what we're going to do in, in uh, uh, I think, throughout history, we're going to look at that nation, and I'm talking as we're in, his, uh, in uh, heaven, and we're going to say, look at how he worked. I mean, from first century all the way to the 21st, if Jesus comes back, they were hated, they were maligned, they were hunted down, they were killed. They were persecuted, that nation, and yet they kept surviving. Why? Because God was behind the scenes. He protected them. He preserved them. When I say protect, I mean preserved as a nation, you know. Never lost every one of them. As as you can say, uh, find me a Hittite. They're gone. Parasite. Ammonite. Mobite. They're all gone. Gone, nation, gone. Nations come and go. People uh, People usually get scattered. Scattered. Once you get scattered, it is very hard to keep a people together, right? Once you get scattered, you just get integrated, and now you become an Italian and a Polish and, you know, and, and German. And what happened to the Jews? They kept getting scattered, brought back, scattered, brought back. But you know what preserved them? Everybody hated them. Did you know, like in the, I think it was Middle Ages, like for a Jew, it was illegal to have sex with a Jew. No, you couldn't marry him. They had to be by themselves. Oh, get away from me, you dirty Jew. You know, ah, you know, you killed, you were the Christ killer. All that persecution, you know what it did? It actually preserved them. They still remained a nation, even though all the other nations would disperse, they would just integrate into the, into the society. Not the Jew, but that was God's plan. That was God's plan from the very beginning. All right, let's look at a couple, and this is just going to be a, a quick message. Um, <laughs> yeah. 
Number one, an overview of God's covenant with Israel. An overview. Just let me give you a... And again, when I say the covenants, there's four major covenants. Abrahamic, the, the land covenant, we call it the Palestinian covenant. Uh, Davidic covenant, where it's uh, the people and, and, and the fact that Christ is uh, uh, going to come out of the loins of the Jew and he will be the king of kings. And then finally, the new covenant, Jeremiah chapter 31. But when we talk about these covenants, okay, and you see the first one in Genesis chapter 12. In fact, this, when I say the first one, from this covenant proceeds the other three, okay? So let me, let me read Genesis chapter 3, verses 1 to 3. And I want you to notice one little phrase, I will. You're going to be hearing this for the next two weeks. You're going to actually get tired of me saying it. Okay, I know what you're going to say, I will. Because this is God. This is God's name at stake. This is God the Sovereign saying, I am going to do this. And I want you to get the intensity here. I'm going to do it. The world is going to be against this. I'm going to do this. Okay? And so we, we see this in Genesis chapter 12, verse 1. Now the Lord had said to Abram, Get out of your country, or from your family, and from your father's house to a land that I will show you. So I'm going to do it. I'm rescuing, me. I'm rescuing you from over here, and you're going to take the, what, 700, mile trip, and I'm going to show you what I'm going to give you. And I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, and you shall be a blessing. And I will bless those who bless you, and I will curse him who curses you. And in all the families of the earth, excuse me, and in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. I will, I will, I will, I will, I will. Five times. Five times God says, I'm going to do this. Now, I'm just going to give you a quick overview of these covenants. If you put them all together, now again, if you, if you put them together, you're talking about four different ones, different parts, like uh, the Abrahamic is chapter 12, 15, 17. The uh, Palestinian is Deuteronomy 30. Uh, the new covenant, covenant, like I said, is Jeremiah 31. And the Davidic is 2 Samuel, okay, chapter, I think, 7. Uh, the point is, is this. With all these covenants, you're going to find the same intensity with the Lord. I will do this. Now, when someone tells you, I'm going to do it, if they don't do it, what would you say to that person? Liar. Or, you made a promise and you just didn't have enough power to do it. Right? I mean, do you see what I'm saying? The name's at stake here. God is going to say some things. I'm going to do this. Now, what if he doesn't do it? It shows that he's either not powerful, not truthful, not loving, Something shows of that character, that person, right? God says, I'm going to do it. Now, when it comes to this covenant, let me give you three characteristics of all these covenants. First of all, they're literal. They're literal. When he says, I'm going to make you a great nation, he's literally saying, I'm going to, make, I'm going to do something with you, Abraham. By the way, at this point in the story, Abraham is not, doesn't have a child. Okay? There's no baby on the screen. Okay? And so, <clears throat> how is this going to happen? But these are, literal co- these are literal promises, literal covenants. They were not given in symbolic language to be decoded. In describing the covenants with Abraham, God made the dimensions of his land. He was promising. I mean, even that, if you go to chapters, because he said, I'm going to give you a land. <coughs> and I, let me show you in chapter 15, verse 18. 
Uh, just go there very quickly. Because chapter 12 breaks down, but let me just show you how literal it is. Uh, Chapter uh, 15, verse 18. To your descendants I have given this land from the river of Egypt to the great river, the river Euphrates. That's pretty specific. That's what I just showed you on the map. I mean, that's... I say pretty specific because there's even a question as far as what do you mean by the river of Egypt? There's a wadi and then there's the Nile. But the point is, is this. He says, I'm giving you a land. It's a specific, literal land. When you, when you look at the uh, covenants, you just got to remember, it's literal. That's the first big point. Again, God promised a piece of real estate to the Hebrew people that extended from the east border, the mighty river Euphrates, to Egypt. Now, Charles Ryrie brings up a very important point on that chapter 15, verse 18, which we just looked at, when it says the river of uh, Egypt. He says this, that there's two different words for river in the Hebrew language. One is for the word wadi, and one is for a river that continues to, uh, like a stream that continues to run. Uh, See, in Israel, they have these wadis, and what it is, is as the the river cuts into the the, uh, hill, mountain, uh, like if it rains real hard, that thing becomes a, uh, like, a, like a raging river, but it only lasts for like a couple days, okay? So like if you're walking in that wadi, W-A-D-I, and, and you happen to be there, and, that, and, that, and it rained up in the northern part, and it's coming down, it could sweep you away. Three days later, it might be completely dry. But the word he's using here is for the word river, something that continues to run. Most scholars, therefore, say it's most likely the actual Nile. Okay, just over that point. The point is, is this. There is from Egypt to the Euphrates a piece of land, a literal piece of land, that God, the creator of this universe, gave to Abraham and to his descendants. That's the most important. And so, well, no, it's not there. But, the, you know, you have that little piece of land, which is going to be bigger in the millennium. But the point is, is that uh, God has given it. And any time God says he's going to do something, what, is, what does Satan want to do? Destroy that. Right? Makes sense. So it's literal. Number two, it's eternal. These covenants are eternal. God promised the patriarch, Abraham, that it will continue. It's, in other words, it's not just a temporary thing. If you're in Genesis 15, go over to chapter 17. By the way, we're moving towards quickly, and now we're, then we're going to go back to Genesis chapter 12 again. And if you just get the sequence, uh, Abraham is like 75. Uh, is it 75? I think it's 75 when he's in uh, Genesis chapter 12. Yeah, 75. And then he, he's 86 at the time of Genesis 15. And by the time you get to Genesis 17, he's 99. He's just before he's going to have... Uh, that Sarah will conceive and then they'll have Isaac. But notice, notice how God says of these covenants that they're not temporary. Um, I'll just point out the word for time's sake. Verse 7, so it's 17.7. And I will, I will establish my covenant between me and you and your descendants after you in, this, in their generation for, what's the next word? For an everlasting covenant. An everlasting Drop down to verse 8. And I give to you and your descendants after you the land in which you are a stranger, all the land of Canaan, as an everlasting possession. And I will be their God. If you 
Go over to verse 13. My covenant shall be in your flesh for an everlasting covenant. He talks about circumcision, but he's saying that's the sign to say that this is an everlasting covenant. And then flip over to verse 19. I will establish my covenant with him for an everlasting covenant and with his descendants after him. As, as, and as for Ishmael, now again, this is by this point, Ishmael has been born, Isaac has not yet. I have heard you. Behold, I have blessed him and will make him fruitful. Uh, Ishmael is, uh, is where we get the, the Arab nations. Okay, Arab nations. And so God says, even though, I mean, even though he's not the promised child, I'm going to bless him. Why? Because he's great? No, because Abraham, it's about you. It's all about Abraham. I'm making a promise, God says to Abraham. But look at, flip down to verse 21. But my covenant I will establish with Isaac. So this covenant is not with the Arab people, not with Ishmael, but with Isaac. And so here you have four different times it says everlasting, 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 everlasting. Can you give me another word for everlasting? Eternal, long time. No, it's more than long time. It's forever, right? Okay. So it's literal, it's eternal, everlasting, and finally it's unconditional. God did not demand that Israel meet any conditions in order for the covenants to be fulfilled. The covenants are punctuated again with I will. I will, I will. It doesn't say this, if. If. Now again, there, was an, there is an if in the sense of if you're not obedient, you will not be in the land. So the Palestinian covenant, it really is a conditional covenant. But what we find in the end, at the end of the tribulation, Israel gets a new heart, a heart of flesh, a heart that responds to God. They are then committed to God, and therefore then they are given the land finally. Okay, do you see the, the point is, is that it's still an everlasting covenant. This is your land, but if you're disobedient, you won't be in, in the land. And that's exactly what happened. They were disobedient, what, the Babylonian captivity. Brought back, disobedient, what? Uh, 70 AD, Jerusalem destroyed, they're dispersed again. But there's coming a day when God puts his, his spirit within them, his, his, his truth within their heart, and as a nation they turn, and at that point they then inherit the land because they've been obedient. But that was because God worked, not because of their own just obedience of, in and of themselves. It's because God said, I will put my word into your heart, into your mind. So again, literal, eternal, unconditional. And it's given not to Ishmael, but to Isaac. You've got to get chapter 17, verse 21. But my covenant I will establish with Isaac. That's the promised child. <coughs> so again, covenant people. Let's, now let's go back to chapter uh, 12. Let's just break this Abrahamic covenant uh, down for you a little bit. And again, this is... I'm going to read it again, just pieces of it. Again, verse 1, Now the Lord had said to Abram, Abram means exalted father. He's going to, his name's going to be changed to a father of many nations, but right now, exalted father. Get out of your country, from your family. In other words, you're going to move yourself. You're going to be separated from everything that you know, everything that is um, familiar to you. And I want you to go to this land. I'm going to show you. And there I will make you a great nation. I will bless you. I will bless those who bless you. I will curse those who curse you. 
and then all the families of the earth sh- shall be blessed. It's, it's interesting, chapter, or in verse 4, it says this, and Abraham departed. <laughs> I mean, he was uh, uh, the man of faith, right? Abraham, the father of faith. He departed. He listened. He listened. Well, let's look at the particulars. Well, first of all, in chapter, or in, or in verse 1, it says, to a land that I will show you. And so, do you have that, uh, that slide, those and this is how it's going to break down. I just want you, I'm going to show it to you ahead of time so you can see it. Um, there again, Israel. No, I mean the squares. Can you, can you give me the, uh, it didn't work right, but I can show you one. Can you give me the slide that's even up there? It's just that you're going to have to turn your head like this. Can you even give me that one? Boy, it was a really good slide too. Kind of explained the whole thing. Okay, whatever. I love technology. Okay, if you want a picture in your mind, can you give me a blank screen? Ooh, now we got to turn this way, though. This is supposed to be, that's supposed to be the top. I know, it's not the best, but it's better than nothing, right? I think. Okay, these are the covenants. It's actually from a book by uh, Enns, E-N-N-S, Theology. But I want you to just see one thing that the Abrahamic covenant in Genesis 12 included three things, land, seed, and blessing. Now from that Abrahamic covenant is going to be broken down the other three major covenants that we'll keep talking about. The Palestinian is the land. Okay, that's found in Deuteronomy 30. Okay, so out of the Abrahamic covenant is going to come the covenant that he makes that the people will have a land. And then in Deuteronomy 30, you get a bigger picture, a more precise picture of um, what God promised. Then the seed, Davidic, great nation, many people. But what we find in the Davidic in 2 Samuel 7 is the seed is not just people but a particular person, the Lord Jesus Christ. It's going to be through Christ that the, sac- the, the, the final sacrifice is made, the only one that can take away sin, which we celebrate at the Lord's table, but also that he is going to be the king of kings. He will sit on David's throne. He will be the millennial king of the kingdom. Okay, So we, then that comes out of the Abrahamic covenant. And then finally, the new covenant in Jeremiah 31, and that is the blessing. You're going to bless, you're not only going to have a people, but you're going to be a blessing to the whole earth. Now again, that comes through Christ, but then how does it actually get implemented? The new covenant says this, that God, not you, God, no, this is specific to the Jewish people, but we have ramifications in our life. God is going to take his, by his spirit and put his word and transform our heart and actually put his word in our heart. We will finally be able to be obedient. They will finally be, be obedient. Why? Because they became smart? No, because God sovereignly worked. Okay, so from the Abrahamic covenant comes the Palestinian covenant, the Davidic, and the New. Very important to see that because as you look, as we look at these other covenants, you just got to say it all started in Genesis chapter twelve. Okay, so let's look at the particulars. First of all, the land to a land that I will show you. Again, this is the Palestinian covenant. This is what God has promised. Not only that, but He promised Abraham a posterity, a, a seed, a descendants. And I'll make a great nation of you. I'll bless you and make your name great and you shall be a blessing. Now this is before he even had Isaac. 
Abraham's grandson, Jacob, moved to Egypt with his family of 70, but emerged as a nation of 2 million four centuries later. See? God is working. Even though they're in captivity, even though they are being subjugated by the Egyptians, God is working. Abraham, I'm protecting you. Even after Abraham is gone, and Isaac is gone, and Jacob is gone, the Jewish people kept producing. Abraham, again, became the father of the Hebrew nation. And that, that is the, the covenant with David that he makes. Not just a people, but you know, you know what a people need? A king. So it all is encompassing. And then finally, God promised Abraham a blessing. I'll bless those who bless you. Isn't that true? Isn't it true that when a nation blesses Israel, they're blessed? Is that true? By the way, when a nation such as the United States starts to reject Israel, what's going to happen? Bye-bye. Okay, I will curse you. I mean, it's just that simple. When you bless Israel... You'll, get a, you'll be a blessing and you will be blessed. And when you seek to reject, then God rejects because it's all about Israel. I truly believe that the, the prosperity that we have enjoyed all these years is specifically with Israel. We have been a, their protector, right? When they first started, 1948, nobody. America came alongside. Even though the UN rejected America, but again, God used us to protect them because of the uh, final last time scenario. But again, God blessed them. Think about all the blessings that, that the Jewish people have had. It's through the Jewish nation that the Word of God has been given to us, right? Uh, the Ten Commandments came through the Jewish people, but obviously the most important is the Lord Jesus Christ. Our Messiah came through Jewish line, through Jewish descent. So again, everything of the blessings, God works through the Jewish nation. Next week I'm going to show you a video. It's just amazing how many Nobel Peace Prize, how many scientists, how many um, inventions have been invented by the Jew. It's just like wherever they are, positive things happen, even though they're not being protected by God at this moment. God just blesses them, you know. It says in, in the last days, what does it say? that uh, ten men will take, the, take a hold of, the, of the, the garment of a Jew and says, let's go up to Jerusalem. And that, I believe, is the millennium. But the point is, is this. Get around a Jew and it just seems you get blessed. Okay? I'm not telling you to get around a Jew for that reason. I'm just saying God blesses them. <laughs> we all have a Jew. <laughs> Sovereignty. That's what I'm trying to say. Sovereignty. Now, this last blessing, again, is found in the New Covenant. The new covenant is this. What the old covenant could not do with the, with the, um, with the temple, the tabernacle and the temple and the sacrifices and the priests could not do, Christ did, right? Once for all, offered himself as sacrifice for sin. Once for all. And so the new covenant is found in the, in the sacrifice of Christ. We saw the new covenant being played out in Revelation chapter 4, or chapter 5, when it said this. Remember when, when uh, chapter 5 and, and uh, the 24 elders and the four living creatures are around the throne giving praise to God, uh, to Christ, to God the Father and His Son in Christ. And He says this in chapter 5, verse 9. For you were slain and have redeemed us to God by your blood out of every tribe and tongue and people and nation. In other words, the new covenant doesn't just affect the Jew, it affects all people. You can come 
uh, and have a right relationship with God because of the sacrifice of Christ, Jew and Gentile can enter into the uh, a relationship with the Father as far as the church. Okay, so that's, that's the, the Abrahamic covenant particulars, okay? Uh, and we're going to be looking at that a little bit more intense uh, next week. Let's finally look at the, ramifica- uh, the ratification of the Abrahamic covenant. So if you go to from chapter 12, now again, after giving these instructions, look at what Abraham did in, in verse 7 of chapter 12. To your descendants I will give you this land. And there he built an altar. I mean, again, it just shows the heart of the man. And then he has to flee because of a famine to Egypt, but then he comes back in chapter 13. By the way, he sins by lying about his wife, right? But he comes back a rich man because the the Pharaoh gives him wealth. Then he rescues because he had a lot of wealth and sheep and animals and lots with him. And Lot says, I want to take this land. And then Lot gets taken off and he rescues his nephew but it is interesting. Chapter 14, verse 15, or verse 13 says this. Then one who had escaped came and told Abram the Hebrew. That's the first time Abram is mentioned as the Hebrew. Okay? The Hebrew. And so he rescues Lot, offers to Melchizedek, the king of Salem, in verse 18. And now we get right up to chapter 15. So now we're in chapter 15. And after these things, again, what do you mean after these things? After now Abram is even wealthier than chapter 12. He's rescued Lot. He's seen the hand of God in rescuing his nephew. And yet he's also sinned by lying because he was afraid. Why? Because um, he wasn't trusting God. See, we're, we're not talking about Abram the perfect. We're talking Abram the man of faith. But he didn't always have faith. Times he faltered, okay? We're talking about God. This is what is important. We're talking about God determining to bless a sinner. Now, I don't know about you, but I'm very glad that God blesses sinners. <laughs> right? I mean, when we come to the table, we are thanking the Lord that we are in, in Him even though we are sinners, right? Okay. So let's, let's just... I'm going to read a good part of this chapter. We're going to be done after this. And it says, after these things, verse 1, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision, saying, do not be afraid. Why? Because he's afraid. Abram, I am your shield, your exceedingly great reward. But Abram said, Lord God, what will you give me? Seeing I go childless. He's still without a child. And the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. Maybe he's the one that's supposed to provide the child. The, then Abram said, look, you have given me no offspring. Indeed, one born in my house is my heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him, saying, This one shall not be your heir, but one who will come from your own body shall be your heir. Then he brought him outside and said, Look now towards heaven and count the stars and see if you're able to number them. And he said to him, So shall your descendants be. Now, this is the important verse 6. That is repeated in what? James and Romans and Galatians. Verse 6 is very important. And he believed in the Lord and he, that's God, accounted it to him for righteousness. Abraham at that point, that's where saving faith actually kicked in. Oh, you say I'm going to have an heir. I don't have one, but I believe you. I believe you. And isn't that what we do when it comes to saving faith? You say that your son took away my sin on the cross. 
I've never seen Jesus. I've never seen God the Father. But based on what you say in your word, I believe that what Christ did on the cross is sufficient for me. I believe. And John Prince believed, and it was accounted for him for righteousness. It wasn't because of my works. It was because of my belief. That's why we call Abraham father of faith. And so Abraham believed, and he accounted to him. Let's read on, verse 7. Then he said to him, I, I am the Lord who brought you out of the earth of the Chaldees to give you this land to inherit it. And he said, Lord God, how shall I know that I will inherit it? So he said to him, bring me a three-year-old heifer, three-year-old female goat. Did it say that three-year? I'm reading it. You know what it is? I didn't. I want to make sure I get this one. Okay, three-year-old, three-year-old. Yep. And a three-year-old ram, turtle dove, and a young pigeon. And he brought all these to him and cut them in two down uh, the middle and placed each piece opposite the other. But he did not cut the birds into a, you know, cut a bird into You just get a bunch of feathers. So, right? So you, now I get the point, you know, cut in half, one, 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 a couple birds, right? So there's, and this was very common, okay? This was very common in that day and age. When you wanted to make a, a covenant with somebody, this is what you do. And, and when the vultures came down on the carcasses, Abram drove them away. Now, God's going to ratify the covenant by a ceremony. Again, very common. This is, I mean, any person in that time frame would have understood what, what was happening here. And what would happen was this. You would, then you and the person you're making the covenant with would walk through the pieces. In fact, the word covenant literally means to cut. To cut a covenant. They were cutting a covenant. God was cutting a covenant with Abram. So what should have happened at that point, God in symbolic form, as we'll see in a moment, would have passed through the pieces with Abram. So let's see what happens if that's... Because that is what should have happened. Now, when the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell upon Abram. Uh-oh, problem. Problem with this ratification. Can't do this. And behold, horror and a great darkness fell upon him. Then he said to Abram, Know certainly that your descendants will be strangers in a land that is not theirs, and will serve them, and they will afflict them 400 years. That's approximate. Again, we find in Galatians that it's actually 430. That's precise. Again, the Jews in Egypt. And also a nation whom they serve, I will judge. <laughs> Sovereignty. <laughs> Afterwards, they, they shall come out with a great possession. Now as for you, you shall go to your fathers in peace. You shall be buried at a good old age. But in the fourth generation they shall return here, for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. And it came to pass when the sun went down and it was dark, that behold, there appeared a smoking oven and a burning torch. Now again, this is a symbolism of God's presence. You know, <clears throat> well, we see that um, uh, fire by day, or fire by night, cloud during the day. Again, the presence of God. This is the presence of God burning torch, and that pass between those pieces. Now, what's the problem? Abraham's not there. That's the problem with this whole ratification. Abraham's not there. He's, he's sleeping, okay? So God caused a deep sleep, as well as a terror and great darkness to fall on Abram. And after reassuring him that he was going to be the one that's blessed, he doesn't pass through. Only God passes through. Which is this. God is saying this. This is an unconditional, eternal covenant that I'm making with you. And you have nothing to do with it. It's all on my shoulders to accomplish. Now, isn't that great? 
Isn't that great when it comes to even the new covenant? You know, God says, you know what, you can't, not by works of righteousness, which you have done, but according to my mercy, I'm going to save you. It's all on my shoulders. All you have to do is believe. You just have to believe. And so this is a unilateral, unconditional, in other words, it's not based on Adam's, or <laughs> Abram's obedience, covenant. It's the I wills. It's sovereign. Again, I'm going to keep saying this. It's sovereign. It's unilateral. It's unconditional. Unilateral means just one person, not bilateral, not them making a deal. But when they were walking through, usually two men would walk through, they were saying this, if I don't hold to my part of the bargain, may it be that I become like one of those animals, killed. In other words, I'm putting my, my life is on the line. My, my name is on the line. I will do this. And I'm making a, an absolute promise and a covenant that I will accomplish this. That's what two humans would do. But that's what God is doing. God is saying, listen, my name is at stake. And I will accomplish this. But it's not going to have anything to do with you. It's going to have to do with me. Do you see how important this is? See, you can't just tromps through Scripture and say, well, God made promises and now he doesn't seek to hold to them. No, what are you talking about? His name is at stake. Okay, so let's, let's just, let me give you just a couple, three things to think about. Four things, actually. So what's at stake here? Well, first of all, God. God is at stake. Is God a truth teller? Because you'll see it over and over again. Next week you're going to see the I wills over and over again. Every time you get to a covenant, I will do this, I will do this, I will do this. Well, God, are you a liar? Is he a truth teller? Can we believe him? Is he faithful? Is he good? All those things are being wrapped up in these covenants. Oh, let me give you another one. Is he powerful enough to accomplish it? Remember, this was made thousands of years ago. Is he powerful enough? Is he going to bring this to pass? Is it true that, like uh, Psalm says, that he who sat on, uh, uh, excuse me, Revelation, where it says that Christ comes back and it says written on him is what? Faithful and true. That is in the context of Israel right there. Do you see what's happening? When Christ comes back, he's going to be coming back and he's going to be called faithful and true. Why? Because what I told Abraham, I'm now finally going to fulfill thousands of years later. Thousands of years. So that's what's at stake. Is God a truth teller? Isaiah says, my counsel shall stand and I will do all my pleasure. Is he? And if you say yes, he will, then this is what happens. God is glorified, Christ is exalted, and the Holy Spirit is honored. And if you say no, then, the, then God is not as glorified, okay? You're saying that you made promises you're not going to hold to. So lots riding on this. A lot is riding on the fact that will God keep his promises? Number two, sin. Now, let, me, let me put in a question. Does sin and do sinners derail the plan and purpose of God? All right? Does sin and do sinners derail the plan and purpose of God? That's what many of my Christian brothers are saying when they say, well, I'm an amillennialist. Oh, I see. Because of, Abraham, or because of Israel's sin, now they're out and we're in. That's what they're saying. Well, let me go to Jeremiah 31. Now, Jeremiah is written when they're in captivity. Jeremiah is written when Israel is in disobedience. And let, let's see what he says to them. 
Verse 31, Behold, the days are coming. So this is Jeremiah 31, 31. Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel. In other words, this, they're going to be different than they ever were. And with the house of Judah. And according to the covenant that I made with the, their fathers in the day that I took them out of the... Uh, excuse me. By the hand to lead... i got to get my glasses. To lead them out of the land of Egypt, my covenant which they broke. Oh, they broke it, but I'm still faithful. Let's just go down real quick. Verse 33, But this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they shall be my people. And it's not just the church. That's Israel. He keeps saying it's Israel. House of Israel, house of Judah. And then you say, well, is it really going to, you know, I mean, really, is it that sure? Look at verse 35. Thus says the Lord, who gives the sun by, for a light by day, the ordinance of the moon and the stars for a light by night, who disturbs the sea and its waves roar. Verse 36, if those ordinances depart, in other words, the sun sh stops shining and the moon and the stars, if everything stops, if those ordinances depart, if they stop from before me, says the Lord, then the seed of Israel shall also cease. But as long as you see... Let me see here. Yep, sun is out there. Covenant's still in effect. That's what he's saying. Verse 37. And if you can measure the heavens and the foundation of the earth, I will also cast off... If you could measure, but you can't. It's immeasurable. You can't. Do you see what he's saying? Hey, my word is going to hold... No, sin and sinners do not derail the plan and purpose of God. When Israel sinned, they did not nullify the promises. That's the point. And actually, write down Romans 11, because Paul explains all that in Romans 11, which we'll look at next week. And then finally, truth. What's at stake? God and his character, sin, how we look at sin, even how we look at our own life, because otherwise you might come to this conclusion. If I sin, and I'm a believer, and if I sin, God might, might, might kick me out of his family. He didn't do it with Israel, right? But then the truth. If you understand Israel, excuse me, if you start with a proper hermeneutic, in other words, a, a literal interpretation of Scripture, literal plain interpretation, interpretation of Scripture, if you start with the right hermeneutic, you're going to understand then the covenants, because you're going to say they're literal. And if you understand the covenants, you get election right. And if you get election rights, you get God right. Do you see how that works? Okay. In other words, you've got to get God right. And when you get God right, then you get Israel right. And when you get Israel right, then you're able to truly understand eschatology. Or to say it this way, this is very, very important stuff because Israel is the key. Like this is the key to the church building. If I wanted to enter and open it, I use the key. And I can enter and open, right? It opens to me the rest of the church inside. When you get Israel right, because you've had the right hermeneutics, understood the, con the covenants, you therefore understand election, which means you understand God. When you understand God, now you get Israel right. When you get Israel right, now you're able to really understand Scripture. It all opens up to you. And then it makes total sense. If you don't get Israel right, as I said in the beginning, you know what happens? It's like a muddle. 
It's like you go to the Scriptures, like, what is he saying? And you, and you come up with all these really, quite honestly, weird interpretations. Or you could say it this way. Every time that you read the word Israel, you know who he's talking about? Israel. <laughs> and don't come to me and, you know, Galatians 6.16 says the Israel of God. He's talking about Israel there. It makes perfect sense. He's talking in Galatians about the law and how does it play out and does Israel... No, no. Literal interpretation. Get the covenants. Lection. Oh, God is just like magnified then. Oh, He is so faithful, so powerful, so loving. It's not about the people and their sin. It's about God's faithfulness. Now you get Israel right. And then everything else just blossoms. Oh, that makes perfect sense. Amen? I trust it's Amen. All right, we come to the table. What does this have to do with the Lord's table? Everything. Because what does he say? If you go to Corinthians chapter 11, it says this. And I want to read it. Specific, if I can find it. It says, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. This covenant. This, this is the new covenant in my blood. The new covenant. Not the old covenant. What is the old covenant? Symbols and temple and tabernacle and priests and sacrifice day after day after day. But what did Christ do? He came, one sacrifice, final, complete, secure, and we celebrate the fact that we have been grafted in, like Romans 11 says, and though the, the Jewish branches have been broken off for a time, that's all Paul says, but we participate in the new covenant of what Christ has done for us, and someday for future Israel, okay? But that's what we're celebrating, that our salvation is completely secure. And you might say, well, how do you know that? Because God is a covenant-keeping God. He's all-powerful, all-wise. And if he keeps his promise even to Israel, is he going to keep it to you who are his children? See, everything revolves around these covenants, even for us, not just for Israel, but for us. So I trust that we go to prayer and ushers come forward and that you would even just thank the Lord. Just thank the Lord. Thank you, Lord, that you keep your promises. Again, make sure that you go before the table in a worthy manner. If there is sin in your heart that you are unwilling to repent of, I would encourage you strongly, do not participate. Because God judges those who take his table, the Lord's table, in an unworthy manner. But again, judge... Judge your heart so that God does not have to. Let's bow for prayer.